You may be seated. What a hopeful song. Really ties in with the passage that we're going to look at a little bit later today. Right now we have the opportunity to welcome into fellowship several folks. They are printed for you there in your bulletin uh, as a session. Those of you who are familiar with the Presbyterian governance section, uh, structure, the session are the elders uh, of the church. And one of our great uh, privileges is to hear the testimonies of folks that, that come and share their testimony as they talk about the work of God in their life and their desire to be connected to the local church. Uh, local church is one of the gifts that God gives us to, to work out that community. I just want to share a couple of things with you that we all affirm, and you'll hear this in some of the questions that we ask a little bit later, but just to think about that community and how it is that God uses the local church. You know, we affirm together with hope that God, because of His great love for us through Jesus, has made an unfailing covenant uh, to restore in us that which has become shattered. We look to Jesus every day to renew us as His workmanship, to heal us of our wounds, to break us and rid us of sin, until that day when in heaven we once again, individuals, as a community, and once and for all, are made God's perfect creature. It's just such a, it's such a wonderful testimony that we have in the midst of brokenness, in the midst of struggle, uh, we're coming together because we affirm that, that God has made a new way and, and that we are believing that, that we trust in that. And that, that's how we live out our lives together then. So we affirm with trust that our healing and renewal happen as we trust daily in the life that Jesus lived on our behalf. That's a life which alone can make us blameless in God's sight. As we trust daily in the death that Jesus died on our behalf, a death that alone satisfies the justice of God due to us because of our rebellion, and as we trust daily in the filling of the Spirit, which alone gives us the power to become renewed and recreated into God's likeness. And we continually affirm that our healing and renewal depends upon life in community as a member of Jesus' bride, the church. These are just such beautiful truths. And each person that comes, no matter their stage in life, has had an opportunity to give voice to that. I know for me personally, I am so glad uh, to belong to a, a local church, not because I am trusting in its institutional structures or the righteousness of its people on their own merits, uh, but because it is a place where I, uh, as a sinner redeemed by grace, can come and walk together with the people of God. Uh, from now until, by the Lord's grace, the, the day I die, uh, I'll always be a part of God's church. And so this morning, we have an opportunity to welcome uh, into fellowship uh, Ray Fuller, Mike Harima, Jennifer McGee, Chad and Heidi Mosier, along with their four children, Kendra, Evan, Grant, and Cassandra, and then also Marguerite Whitmer. I'm going to invite them to come forward, and we're going to take the front row. So, Jason, you're going to have to pull your feet in. 
That's okay. No, you're fine. <laughs> yeah, come on up. We're going to take this uh, front area right here. Uh, elders, I'm going to invite you to come as representatives of uh, the body of Christ. I've heard this testimony. Come on, right in here. Ray, you're good, right here. Perfect. Come and stand next to Jennifer. Come on, Mosers. can make me look really short. Come, no, you're good, right there. Stand. All right, everybody, everybody uh, happy where they are? Um, it, it is really a, a great uh, opportunity that we have to, to add these folks to our, our, our membership. So here we have uh, Ray Fuller. Uh, Ray is uh, Sharon Chamberlain's father, and, and Ray Chamberlain and Sharon have been faithful in bringing and time of life. Ray has been walking with the Lord uh, for his whole life, missions and all sorts of different things over the years, uh, and it's great to have him as part. This is Jennifer McGee. If you don't know her, uh, you may wonder. Uh, she goes with Bryant. That, that guy over there. And uh, so one of the ways that our polity works is that Bryant is a member of our presbytery, so he's already been received. He's not a member of the church, but Jennifer uh, is transferring. She has her membership in the local church. And then we have the Mosiers here. We have Chad and Heidi, uh, Evan and Grant, uh, Kendra and Cassandra. Um, they've been with us for about a year now. Dived, dove in, dived, dove into the life of the church. Uh, Chad was uh, leading us just yesterday in our faithfully working lunch, so that was really great. We're, we're so glad to have each of them. And then Mike Harima is on the end over there. Uh, glad to have Mike among us. And then Marguerite Whitmer uh, is back with us. Uh, and I say back because this is just a really special story. Uh, Marguerite and her husband, Earl, uh, were one of a small group of people that decided they needed a Presbyterian witness in Grand Rapids. And she was an original member of this church. Uh, her husband, Earl, was one of the, the major drivers of, uh, of Christ Church. It would not be here uh, except for uh, Marguerite and Earl and the Smith family and the Froisland family and, and some folks like that. Forgive me if I forgot anybody uh, in that initial group, but um, it, it's just really special. So the Lord's journey has taken them to Atlanta. Uh, Earl worked for the, the denomination for a while, and uh, they've been in Atlanta until they moved, uh, Marguerite moved back two years ago. And uh, about three years ago, and so here she is uh, saying, I want my membership in the local church where I am, and this is the church uh, that, uh, that she loves. So we are so grateful uh, to have you. And it's also just a reminder of, of how God uses uh, people uh, to build His church. It's so encouraging. So let me ask you these questions for everybody and you can just answer, I do. Do you acknowledge yourselves to be sinners in the sight of God, justly deserving His displeasure, without hope except for through His sovereign mercy? Do you? Do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as the Son of God, Savior of sinners? Do you receive and trust Him alone for salvation as He's offered to you in the gospel? Do you? 
Ray was very eager to answer that one. <laughs> Do you now resolve and promise in humble reliance upon the grace of the Holy Spirit that you will endeavor to live as becomes the followers of Christ? Do you? Do you promise to support the church in its worship and work to the best of your ability? Do you? And do you submit yourself to the government and discipline of the church and promise to strive for its purity and peace? Do you? I ask you, brothers and sisters of Christ Church, do you receive these folks as members of this local church and recognize them as those that have received the grace of God in their life? Do you promise to, to love them, care for them? to live alongside of them, encourage them as they need it, care for them when appropriate, continue to strive with them as we strive together before the Lord. If this is your intent, answer from the bottom of your heart with a hearty amen. 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 Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we pray at this time that you would help us to be faithful to what you have called us to in this relationship. We're grateful that you've given us the local church. Uh, we're grateful for the picture that it is of your greater kingdom. We know that it is not perfect. We, we know that in our midst we continue to disappoint and uh, hurt one another even at times, but it is the picture of relying on you. It's the picture of, of coming and receiving grace as we give and receive it with one another, as we point us always uh, together to the, to the foot of the cross, to the empty tomb, to the finished work that is not our own, but belongs to the Lord Jesus. I pray that you would encourage these people now as we receive them. May they grow in, in their own walk with you, and I pray as well that you would uh, allow them to encourage us, and may we grow in our walk with you because of them. We pray this all in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Elders, come by and give the right hand of fellowship, uh, and then uh, I'll invite you to return to your seats. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Turn off my... encourage you as you have opportunity to welcome them as well. As the uh, elders finish welcoming our, our new members, we'll turn your attention to our bulletin and to the scripture that we have for this morning. We're continuing to work through our sermon series, Life in the Spirit, and and what does God have for us through the words of Paul in Romans? And we've come thus far to Romans 8, verses 18 through 25. So I invite you to stand as we hear God's word read for us this morning. The scriptures say this, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. 
For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we come to you again this morning and ask that you continue to do the special work that you do uh, as we hear your word, as we dive into uh, the words that you have for us today. Let us not forget that these are words that have been heard so many times by so many people in, in history past, and so we are delighted to join into that uh, bringing our story with many other stories. We're just excited to, to see how you work through your servant, Andrew, and how the Spirit will work in our own lives. So, Father, we ask that that would be what happens. You work on our minds and our hearts as we consider your word and what you have for us today. Pray this in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. So Peter Pan, he drew out his great sword and he slew the dragon, at which time he was catapulted by a giant beanstalk into the tower where he kissed the sleeping beauty, who immediately awoke and cut off her hair. What's the problem? The problem is, is uh, when we start to mix up stories, we, we don't know where it's going. Uh, if we mix up stories or we get into the wrong story or we act out one person's part when we should be playing another, we may get Peter Pan fighting the wild boys instead of leading them. We may get Jack planting a whole uh, sort of garden of uh, of uh, beanstalks rather than using it to topple the giant or whatever he was trying to do. It's so important that we know what story we are in. We can use that, we can make that point using fairy tales, uh, or we can go to philosophers like Alastair McIntyre who said, I cannot begin to answer the question of what I am to do until I answer the prior question of what story am I a part of? It's so important for us to understand the story that we are a part of. And this is what Paul has been doing all the way through Romans. He's been telling stories, and incidentally, oral cultures, uh, ancient Israel, they were very accustomed to telling stories and placing themselves in stories and understanding how their mores and norms and all of these things acted out of the story. And Paul has been telling this story to a group of very diverse people, uh, of Medes and Persians, of Parthenians, of Cappadocians, of slaves, of free, of men, of women, of Jews and Gentiles, all these folks. He's telling them this story so that they can place themselves in the story and they will know what they are to do. 
They know how they are to respond to suffering. They know how they are to live in this world, uh, what hope looks like, all of these different things, questions that we have, and I trust that, like me, these are questions that, that touch at our hearts, and if we don't get them answered, it, it's so unfulfilling, and, and we get lost, and, and they're, at times, tragically, we, we start finding ourselves in a different story. We start pursuing something that we shouldn't be pursuing because we got outside of the pages of our story. This chapter, Romans 8, uh, we've been saying is the culmination. It's one of the greatest chapters ever written. It's the culmination of what Paul has been telling the people in the Roman church. And he has reminded them, there is now therefore no condemnation. You have been set free from the law of sin and death. You've been set free to, be, to live by the Spirit. You are heirs along with Christ, co-heirs with Him. You have been adopted, uh, and, and He's pushing all of these truths forward. But here, as He is telling the story and culminating it, He stops and He deals with uh, a potential obstacle. He deals with the suffering. Remember, Addison touched on it last week. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. If we're children, then heirs, heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we might also be glorified with Him. So here it is. You know, it's the empire, it's Rome, it's the first century, Christians are being killed, uh, there are all sorts of economic problems, there's slavery, there's system, systemic injustice, all of these things. How do, we, how do we handle suffering? And so Paul wants us to understand this bigger story, and he wants us to understand that the, the gospel that he is preaching, the redemption that he is proclaiming uh, is, is big. In fact, it, it's as far as the curse is found. Uh, every place where sin has come in and, and affected our world, redemption is bigger. And, and redemption is the story that gives us hope. So I want to walk through it, and let's just start with the very real frustration that Paul acknowledges. You know, he says, verse 17, that we will suffer with him in order that we may be glorified with him. Verse 18, I consider the sufferings of this present time not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. Now, we want to quick pass over that first clause and get to the glory part, right? But Paul doesn't do that. Uh, he's, he acknowledges in a way that is honest, in, in a way that is not cheap uh, with regards to our experience, that suffering is a part of life. Uh, over and over again in this short passage, he, he talks about it in different ways. Verse 18, he says, the suffering of this present age. Uh, verse 20, we're, ta- we're told about the futility that creation experiences or the bondage to corruption in verse 21. In verses 22 and 23, we're, we're told that there is groaning that is going on. Paul is very honest about our experience in this present age. He is very honest with suffering, 
bondage, to corruption, uh, futility, groaning, all of these things as being a part of our experience. And if you remember, Addison gave us some helpful categories last week. He said, you know, some of this certainly is the persecution that comes from being united to Christ. Uh, It's persecution that is by those who are opposed to Christ, uh, putting down those who are united to Christ. There is that type of suffering. And that's going on all over the world, whether it's in northern Africa or China or or, uh, North Korea or wherever it might be. This kind of suffering where there are people who are uh, allied, arrayed against uh, the, the people of God. Then there is suffering that comes about because we're foolish. Uh, we, we, we're sinful. We're, we're rebellious. And so uh, we live out our selfishness and it drives people away. Uh, we live out uh, our hatred or our disdain for people that are different from us, and we see uh, systemic problems throughout our, uh, throughout our world as, as groups are arrayed against groups. Uh, and, and so we bring a lot of our suffering on ourselves uh, just by our, our stubborn, foolish, weed-filled hearts. Uh, we, we are... Uh, bring about our own suffering. And some of that God uses uh, to, to move us out of it. You know, we're told in, in Hebrews chapter 12 that the Lord disciplines those that He loves. And nobody likes discipline while it's being meted out, uh, but God is using it in our lives. And so that is uh, part of our story as well. The third kind of suffering is just, you know, your sort of garden variety suffering, being part of a a world that sin has been brought into it. And so our bodies, uh, they break down, we get older, uh, we deal with cancer, we deal with uh, muscular problems, our our minds don't always work right, we struggle with anxiety, depression, uh, schizophrenia, different sorts of things. All of these are are part of what mark us uh, in this present time, as Paul is saying. And, And Note, here is one of the the most pertinent places in the Scripture where he helps us to see that it's not just people that suffer, but because of people, the whole world is suffering. Uh, He says that very clearly, right, in verse 20, where he says, uh, the creation itself was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. So he's taking us back to the garden, and he's saying that when Adam and Eve, as our head, our, our, that first couple who were our representatives, when they rebelled against God's way, when they sought their own direction, it didn't only affect them, but it affected all of creation. It affected uh, systems like government and economics and all of those types of things. It affected the, the birds and the bees and the flowers and the trees. It affected all of those things. And Paul isn't just pulling this out of the air. One of the things that's really interesting to note 
is that the creation, it was noted uh, that the creation itself, the ecology, uh, was struggling back in the time that Paul wrote. In a book called Environmental Problems of the Greek and Romans, the author carefully and convincingly argues not only that environmental destruction was widespread at Paul's time, but also that many ancient authors, such as Vitruvius, Strabo, Aristotle, Theophrastus, described and decried the devastation. Poets were singing of the disappearance of wild animals caught in Caesar's nets in such numbers that the former lofty layers of wild beasts are now pasturages. It's interesting when we think about, you know, the human's relationship to creation to note that the environmental problems that we face or the challenges that we face now are things that have been going on for millennial. Now, that's not to excuse it or that's not to say, well, that's just the way it is. What it points out to, and I think what Paul is saying, is that we as humans from the very beginning haven't been the stewards of God's creation that we were called to be. We, we haven't been the sons of God, and the creation is groaning, waiting for that. It's waiting for us to step forward. It's waiting for us to exhibit the stewardship that from the very beginning, when God placed us in the garden, He said, tend it and keep it. You know, allow it to prosper. Under your tutelage, may it thrive. And instead... You know, we, we fill it with waste, uh, we, we pollute, we, we, uh, we go through it with thoughts of our own consumerism, uh, not necessarily thinking through what, is, what does stewardship look like. This is a, a big challenge for us, uh, but this is what Paul is saying. He's saying when we think of suffering, don't only think about it in terms of yourself, you need to think about it. Uh, as being creation-wide. But the good news is this. The good news is once we wrestle with that, what Paul further says is that this is going to enlarge your picture of redemption. Because when we realize how devastating the fall is, then we also realize how redemptive, restoring, and healing God's grace is. Just how far-reaching the redemption is. This, is. this is what Paul's point is here. And again, while he uses all of these words to, to talk about frustration, he uses words like glory in verse 18, the freedom of the glory in verse 21, first fruits, adoption, redemption, verse 23. We've been set free, he says in verse 21. This is the message that Paul is bringing. And this is what he is saying to the church in Rome. This is your story. Your story is that while it's true we are suffering, it is not worth comparing. Now I know for some of you that's huge because your suffering is huge. But this is the glory of the gospel that your suffering is not worth comparing. To the glory that is revealed 
to us. And it's not simply to us in the sense that we are spectators of what God is doing, but we are participators in. That's what the preposition uh, encourages of us, that we are participators in the glory. God is doing this in us, in our midst, and we are a part of that. So this, this is what Paul has been talking about all throughout, and he's going to continue to go on. What then can separate us from the love of God in Christ? Can principalities or powers or any of these things? And the answer is no, for we belong to him. That death, resurrection uh, of Jesus Christ definitively took care of everything that we as humans brought destructively into the world, both in our lives uh, our own sin, our own misery, our own guilt, our own, but also systemically, you know, as we push out and we think about the environment and we think about the economic systems that we live in, as we think about uh, racial relations throughout this world, God is saying it's not worth comparing to the glory that is revealed in Jesus Christ. It is not worth comparing to where this story is going because this story is about redemption. This story is about first fruits. This story is about a new creation. It's interesting in this passage, uh, it talks about groaning. Now, there are different kinds of groaning, right? There's it's kind of the moaning, whining groaning when you didn't get what you wanted to. Uh, that's a type of groaning. Guilty. I've done it before. Uh, we, we get to that point in terms of uh, sometimes life. But this is not really the kind of groaning that he's talking about here. He's talking about the, the groaning of real pain, but it's also the groaning of expectation in childbirth. You know, there, there is real pain there. I, I so I've observed it, I haven't experienced it, uh, real pain in that moment, but there is a direction to it, there is a focus to it that sees at the end of that groaning uh, a life, a beautiful child that would come into this world, and, and that's exactly what, what Paul says, this is our story. We, we, we suffer, we groan right now, but it's not the groaning that has no hope. It's not the groaning that's simply whining about what's going on to us. It's the groaning that, that is enduring because we expect the, you know, the blessing at the end. We expect the, the new birth. And this is what Jesus talked about in Matthew 19, where he talks about the new world that is coming. He doesn't mean it in terms of just the getting rid of everything old, uh, but he talks about the renewal, the, the palingenesis, the, the regeneration of all things. One writer, John Piper, some of you may know that name, he says, when you think of you know, what God is doing in this world, this new birth, Think of it as the first installment, you know, and this connects to that idea of first fruits. We are the first fruits. There's expectation of more, of what is coming. Your body and the whole world will one day be a part of this regeneration. God's final purpose is not spiritually renewed souls inhabiting decrepit bodies in a disease and disaster-ravaged world. 
His purpose is a renewed world with renewed bodies, renewed souls that take all of our renewed senses and make them a means of enjoying and praising God. And that's what we see in this passage, uh, that we are, our bodies are awaiting the redemption, uh, the, the redemption of our bodies. Uh, there is a very physical aspect to that. Now, there's, a, there's kind of a weirdness there in that passage where it talks about we wait for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Didn't we talk about this last week? You know, isn't this one of the things that Addison helped us to see is true of us, that belonging to Christ, we are adopted sons and daughters? Isn't, isn't that true? Why are we still waiting for our adoption? How does, how does that work? And this is part of that already but not yet nature of who we are. We actually are, are kind of living this right now in our family. I think a lot of you know that uh, the Lord has made it possible and we are rejoicing in it to um, uh, finalize an adoption for Moses next week Wednesday, the 20th. Super excited about it. Uh, but uh, we're in this in-between time right now where, according to legal documents and stuff like that, Moses is already uh, a part of our family, and we already feel that about him. You know, he's, he's fully part of our family. His insurance, as Vandermoss, and, you know, all of these different things. Some of his name change is already in there pending. Uh, but then, on the 20th, as we go before the judge, everything's going to be revealed, and it's going to be finalized, and there's going to be hoopla and celebration and all of that. And that's what God is saying. That's what Paul is saying. These things are absolutely certain. It's written down. It's transcribed. It's all there. But it's going to be revealed in this marvelous celebration that we are all going towards. And this is what Paul is saying. Yes, you suffer. But it's a suffering that leads to new birth. It's a suffering that is pointing us forward. It's a suffering that is filled with hope. Not just simply the groanings of unhappy people. And so therefore we can wait in eager expectation. You, you see that throughout uh, this passage and uh, you know, it, it, really stra it really stands out to us. You know, first of all, this idea of waiting, we don't like that a whole lot. The idea of hope. Uh, so many of us, Christians and non-Christians alike, are really struggling with the idea of hope. We, we look out in our culture and we see the political discord. We see the racial discord. We see environmental issues. And, and we struggle with hope. You know, is there, is there any hope? But what Paul is saying is when you're in the right story, when you know what story you're in, when you know the role that suffering plays, when you know the glory that is coming that uh, our suffering is not worth comparing to, when you know the story, then we can have hope. You know, we can wait for it with patience. We can eagerly anticipate because we know. We've read the last chapter. We, we know what's coming. We know the hero doesn't die. We, we know it's coming, and so we wait for it with patience. But we don't like to wait. There was a, recently a story about a Houston airport and uh, the gate and the baggage claim, and they were getting a lot of 
complaints at the baggage claim that people were waiting for their luggage. And, uh, and, and so they, they took a look at it, and you know what their solution was? They moved the baggage claim farther away from the gate. Uh, and they found that the number of complaints about waiting for luggage went way down. Even though it took them exactly the same amount of time to get the luggage out from the plane to the gate. But the issue was unoccupied waiting time. We're happy to walk across the terminal and get there at the same time that our luggage is, but if we only walk five steps and then we have to wait for seven minutes, we don't like that. And I think one of the things that we see here in this passage is that God wants us to press into our waiting. We're not sitting, sitting around just twiddling our thumbs. We're not, we're not just in this unoccupied waiting time. There is an eagerness, there's a pressing into our waiting where we are even showing forth what it means to be hopeful in this time and in this place. Israel had this as part of their story in Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 21. God is talking through the prophet about them going into exile. And he says, as you go into exile, which is very much a picture of where we live right now. We live in exile, away from, you know, our home in Eden, on the way yet to our home in heaven. So very much sort of this exile, this Babylonian captivity. And what God says is, when you go into exile, set up road markers for yourself. Make yourself guideposts or signposts. Consider well the highway, the road by which you went. Return, O virgin Israel, return to these your cities. He's saying to them two things. One, you're going to go into exile, but you are going to be re- you're going to be returned to the very same place. So set up signposts of the kingdom, signposts of your return, so that you will know the way back and you can point the way back to others. In Isaiah chapter 8, he says to the people of Israel, you yourself are the signposts. You yourself are the tokens, the way markers along the way. And, and this is our waiting. In our waiting, as we, as we travel, we, we hold up signposts of the glory. So we live in a, in a world right now where we groan just over issues of sexual identity and questions with regards to that and what does marriage look like and all of these different things. I can't fix all of that. Uh, You can't fix all of that. But I can be faithful to what I perceive as the, the calling of God's Word to be a husband to one wife, to care for her, to be faithful to her, to love my children, you know, put that out. And I can say, I don't have all the answers, But this is the story that God told me to inhabit. I cannot solve climate change, uh, but I can be faithful in in my spot with how I use pollution and waste and all of these different things. I can think through that. I can be faithful in those areas. I cannot solve, uh, you know, the racial tensions that are in this world, but I can love my neighbors well. And I can go forward and I can, I can push myself into areas with the other that I wouldn't normally do. All of these things are way markers. They're signposts of the kingdom. It's what we believe. It's what we hope for. 
And this is where we are called to wait with eager anticipation, not just biding our time, but moving forward and pointing people to the redemption, the worldwide redemption that is coming. But a lot of this uh, takes not just a list to follow, but it takes an actual, uh, you know, touched, um, inspired, Holy Spirit-fueled imagination. Now, I don't mean imagination like my kids had imaginary friends when they were little. Uh, I mean imagination like something that is big enough to go beyond just the things that are in our day-to-day, you know, our day-to-day experience. So, imagining that this community that Paul is talking to with the slaves and the free and the Cappadocians and the Jews and the barbarians and the Scythians, imagining that that's the kind of community that we're called to. You know, imagining a world in, in which we, we do not live by consumerism alone, but we also care about the environment that we live in. Imagining those truths, imagining that Gaining more is not the bottom line, but loving people well and sharing wealth and generosity, that these are the things that God has called us to. Imagining that kind of world. Here's how one writer puts it. He says, right now we are living in the tragic gap. You know, it's that time of exile between the creation and between God's coming again. And he says it doesn't actually get better if you're simply offered a list of rules. And that's so true. Uh, You know, your moral living cannot bridge the tragic gap. It takes the gospel. As if to say, if we care for creation, then do this and this and this. Race relations, do this, and we'll all be fine. No. We're stuck in a moment, and we can't get out of it because the story of our lives, the story of civilizational progress and affluence that's embodied in so many places in this world, it has reached a dead end. And if that's the story, it provides no way forward. What we need is a transformed imagination, not simply a list of rules. The grand story that Paul is telling and reinterpreting at the heart of the empire invites us to be taken up in a vision that calls us forward. It calls us in so that we can't help but want to live into the healing and the redemption that God offers, not simply to our souls, but as far as the curse is found. Every single place that has been touched by the ravages of sin, When Jesus died on that cross, he died to bring redemption to that place. Even while we recognize that the tragic gap runs right through the lives of all of us, we come before him and we offered our embodied lives to God, seeking to be liberated from dead-end conformity to the idolatrous systems of this world. When we are rooted in this story, experiencing this liberations, then our imaginations are set free from captivity, and we begin to discern what is the good and the acceptable will of God in our lives. Brothers and sisters, hope that is seen is no hope at all. What Paul is saying is your hope is so much bigger. 
You know, your hope is so much bigger than your day-to-day lives. And, and because you have the first fruits of that, the Holy Spirit, as those who have offered yourselves uh, before the Lord, you are free now to live into this big story. You know, the sufferings, they're real, but they are not worth comparing to the glory that is ours and that is to be revealed to us in Jesus. So live into it with, uh, with freedom, with confidence, uh, with generosity, sharing it with all around us. I mean, we, we have the greatest treasure, and it goes beyond money, it goes beyond. We have the hope that will never be disappointed a glory that is greater than all of our suffering. Praise be to God. Amen. Father, we thank you for this word and for the hope that it does indeed engender in us. Lord, we pray that you would set us free from anxiety and worry, and you would set us free from uh, self-destructive behaviors. You would set us free uh, to, to live and to love, to, to care for this world, to care for the people in it, to, to look forward to the glory that is to be revealed that is so much greater. Uh, than the suffering that we experience. Lord, we know that this is not cheap. It cost you. It cost you the very death of your son. Uh, But it is now earned and it is ours. Joy to the world. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.